Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and we welcome you to the fabulous Image Show, where today is Sunday, October 13th, all day long. And we've got some hot topics to talk about this morning. Uh, We've got a fabulous guest with us, and her name is Amber Nelson. She's joining us by phone in Fort Dodge, Iowa. And Amber is formerly a correctional officer for the Iowa Department of Correction. And uh, first of all, we want to thank you for being on the Image Show this morning, Amber. Are you out there? I am. Thanks for having me. Well, I tell you, this has been a long time coming because uh, I do remember you, first of all, as a correctional officer at North Central Correctional Facility in Rockwell City, Iowa, where I actually started the image program. And uh, you have been helpful in the Fort Dodge community uh, ever since my release uh, back about a year and a half ago. And I know that you are an advocate for criminal justice and uh, re-entry. And so uh, I'm, I'm just thankful to have you with us this morning. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So first of all, before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of the road uh, that you've been on and what you do and uh, wh- you know, what's going on in Fort Dodge that has led us up to this interview? Well, right now I, I work full-time. And I'm working on my bachelor's degree. Um, I want to help our community eventually. Here in Fort Dodge, lately, we've had a lot of crime. Um, We've had a murder. We've had a lot of shootings. And I would like to be able to help our community and stop this. Um, Some some different topics have come up, some different solutions. And it would be nice to be able to just slow this down a little bit. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who have just tuned in and are listening with us now, uh, you're tuned into the Image Show. We are speaking with Amber Nelson, and she is a former correctional officer for the Iowa Department of Corrections. And Amber has reached out to me on a numerous uh, occasions in stopping the violence in Fort Dodge. She sees the Image program and the effectiveness uh, that it has in the Des Moines community, and she's been very, very interested and willing to help bring the image program to Fort Dodge. Now, some of the things that uh, Amber has been able to assist in is uh, some of the different victims that uh, have been involved in the shootings and particularly uh, this pastor that was killed. I believe his name was Alan Henderson. And I want to talk about the catastrophic behavior that is taking place in Fort Dodge, Iowa. And that's one of the things that Amber is here on the show uh, to help me with this morning. So, uh, Amber, first of all, why is there no one stepping up to try to help in, in Fort Dodge? I mean, where are the community leaders? And if there are no community leaders, then how can we help develop community leaders in our surrounding cities, such as Fort Dodge? I think that the topic is so um, people don't know what to say. People don't know how to act, especially when it involves mental illness or, or someone that they know has been in prison or committed a crime. They don't know how to respond to them. They're scary to most people in the public when people don't understand that it is just a, a human being like you and I. We all right. make mistakes. Sure. Uh, Now, I'll tell you, so 
What led us up to actually, you know, this interview is a few weeks ago, Pastor Alan Henderson was killed outside of the Fort Dodge Church where he had been pastor for over 20 years. And this was uh, a well-respected pastor and chaplain who was living out his passion and helping not only those in society, but also those incarcerated. And I think that, you know, this raises a huge uh, red flag in the reentry and the mental illness, because uh, the guy who allegedly uh, committed this crime or, or uh, you know, this robbery and, and murder on this pastor, obviously, and it's been evident that he's had some mental illness issues and concerns and, and problems. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. I've heard, I've heard lots of different things. Um, heard lots of different things. However, I did personally um, have a couple interactions with the pastor, and he was amazing. His vibe was good. He, he was great. Yeah, I, I, um, I so remember this, him. Yes. So this is shocking to everyone in our community. This is, people are saying, you know, as I'm listening to people talk, we can't even be safe at church anymore. Yeah. So what do we do to stop this? Wow. You know, I'll tell you, what do we do to stop this? I think, first of all, it starts with the community leaders. Now, I remember from experience living in Fort Dodge that there were very few people that were actually stepping up to the plate in a positive direction to help teach uh, the young ones there and, and the kids. So right. uh, obviously when these people, you know, they get grown and, and they come in and out of the system, then it leads to tragics and, and, and situations like this. Uh, what do you think from being a former CEO, uh, what did you see uh, in the institution that kind of uh, made this situation or, or that could could have been changed to, to probably help prevent situations like this when inmates are coming out of prison? Uh, obviously, this guy had spent some time in prison and uh, he had mental illness uh, issues. He uh, the police reports showed that he had just had a conflict with his mother where uh, she had to actually use a deadly weapon to try to get him out of the house. He overpowered her with the 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 force and took the gun from her and pointed at her and threatened to kill her and then left and eventually ended up killing this pastor. Now, these kind of issues concern me because while I stick up and advocate for inmates and and the formerly incarcerated, you know, when I hear about something like this, it just throws a monkey wrench in the game and it it gets me frustrated. Uh, What do you think from being a former CEO? uh, You know, what's your take on this? I think a lot of people um, lack education, they lack support groups, and they lack mental health services. Um, I think most importantly... um, You're saying that they lack this inside uh, the institution or outside? Both. Okay. Okay. Both. So what Um, could be done uh, inside the institution to help change? Number one, education. And not... Um, let's put you at a computer and have you fill this out. Real education, hands-on, 
working with another. Um, I, I used to have guys come up and say, you know, I don't know how to give a proper handshake. I'm about to be released. I don't know where to put a stamp on a letter. They are uneducated and no fault of their own. Okay. They're, they're falling through our cracks somewhere. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who have just tuned in, you're tuned into the Image Show, you're listening to Amber Nelson, who was a former CEO for the Iowa Department of Corrections. Uh, she is with us now over the phone in Fort Dodge, Iowa, and uh, we have come together after the tragic murder of Alan Henderson, Pastor Alan Henderson, uh, who was brutally murdered in Fort Dodge uh, just a couple weeks ago. And so... Uh, now, Amber, you said that there's going to be a gathering there uh, coming up, uh, or there was one last Thursday. Is that correct? Yes, yes. The community has really come together to support this. All right. Well, I tell you, we're going to go to a quick commercial. When we come back, we're going to speak a little bit more about this and try to uh, find some some solutions and just kind of talk a little bit more and, and give the viewers or, or the hearers out there a little bit more understanding of, of what's going on. We'll be back on The Image Show after these messages. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on The Image Show. We've got Amber Nelson with us, former correctional officer for the Iowa Department of Corrections. Now, Amber, so we've talked about uh, a little bit about this uh, pastor, Alan Henderson, being killed and the tragedy of it. Uh, you know, with your experience working with, with incarcerated uh, individuals, uh, what do you feel uh, – the big problem is with how they're being treated and how they come out and are becoming successful other than education. I mean, walk me through some of the uh, experiences that you've had in there. In in the prison or outside of the prison? Yes. Okay. Um, I, I think they lack support, human contact, support, um, people that will, they can talk to. Um, open up to, you know, they, they've been locked down for 18 years. They get out. Here's Facebook. They don't know how to run it. Who do you ask that? There, there's no support groups. There's nobody to bounce off of. In this society, you have to know how to do those things to survive. They don't know how to drive cars. They don't know how to write a check. They don't, they don't know how to go to MidAmerica and turn on their energy. No one has ever showed them. They go to housing, but they don't understand how to fill out the paperwork. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and I can relate because, you know, when I got out, there was a lot of that stuff I had never did before. I had never paid a light bill, not the one that was in my name. I had never paid rent, not rent that was in my name. I had never paid car insurance, uh, not that was in anyone's name. And I, you know, had never just really take on these, took on these responsibilities um, these people are coming out and they don't have a clue. And this is why it's so important uh, for me to be uh, a little bit more active in trying to help these individuals who are fresh out because they need some type of a role model to be able to at least uh, relate to. I mean, they don't even really have anyone who they can relate to because their mind is on First of all, paying all these bills and fines and restitutions and going back and forth to uh, parole office meetings and making sure that they're fulfilling all of their obligations uh, that they're required 
to go through that, you know, the other part of life, it just kind of gets hidden and drowned out. And then ultimately they end up uh, making a lot of terrible choices. And so, uh, you know, again, it starts with the leadership. Uh, now, we know that APHIS is uh, one of the uh, programs in Fort Dodge. Have you reached out to them for any kind of help at all? I haven't. Not at this point. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Chuck Clayton is a nice guy. I know him personally. And I know that he's always willing to do anything that he can to help his community. He has. Actually, in the past, I have reached out to him about some issues, and he did help with it. Okay. So, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, that's one source that uh, I, I would definitely try to make some communication with, and I'll give Chuck a call as well and uh, see if there's anything that we could do uh, from the image program to help. But tell us, tell me a little bit more about some of the other uh, issues that's been going on down there in Fort Dodge. I know that there's been some killings uh, lately, you know, and, and these killings, for some reason, and these murders, I mean, they're unsolved. A lot of them go unsolved. I, I can't believe how Des Moines, Iowa is just an hour and a half away, but yet nine times out of 10, whenever there's a, a murder case or there's some kind of issue with a, a terrible assault, some kind of violent crime, uh, normally the the guy's captured or, you know, the, the police end up finding, who, finding out who it is and bringing them to, you know, serve justice so that justice is served. Unfortunately, in Fort Dodge, that doesn't always happen. It doesn't. I think a lot of, um, and I don't think it's law enforcement. I think that it's actually the community is so tight-lipped and no one wants a snitch. So everyone doesn't speak. However, it's getting so out of control. I think we all need to, to bond together and no one should be shot at. No one should be murdered. No one should be scared. That's not what we want in our community. We want everyone to be able to help one another. I, I want everybody to succeed. Sure. Well, I tell you, I thank you uh, for your input and uh, your passion. And I know that it breaks your heart, uh, you know, when you have to hear about these murders and it, it hurts the families. I mean, there are families that I know down in Fort Dodge that are hurting uh, from these losses that they've taken uh, when it it regards, you know, a loved one from being shot or, you know, people say the gun went off and, you know, he, he got killed. He accidentally uh, stabbed, you know, his dad or, you know, all this, this stuff is, is accidental somehow. And the reality is, is that it comes from the leaders there. They need to step up and teach these young kids, uh, you know, how to be productive, how to go out and find a job uh, that kind of relates to their talent. They right, need to, right. you know, they need to, to, to find some kind of pro-social activities. There's nothing there. And, uh, you know, other than APHIS that I'm aware of. Right. We do have um, Steve Rowe over at the Beacon of Hope, which is the men's homeless shelter. He is very involved in mental health and getting these guys off the streets, um, trying to get them jobs, get them housing. Um, he works a lot with the guys in our community. Um, he's, he's amazing. If, if we could have more people step up like he has, I think we could make a huge difference. 
Okay. Uh, now let me ask you something, Amber. Is there any phone number for uh, the listeners out there if they wanted to reach out to you or if there was someone that wanted to give some kind of help uh, for this Alan Henderson uh, incident? I know that you've been involved with that. Uh, you know, someone wants to maybe uh, donate some money to the family, to the victims. Um, I think there's some Facebook pages. Otherwise, um, he had an SOS that he had created. You can find that on the Messenger's Facebook page or even the Fort Dodge Police Department's page. Okay, now, would that be the same for all the other victims and and the families uh, that have had some recent uh, losses from from killings and murders up there? You know, to be real honest, I don't know that anyone started any funding for any of these other families. Um, I haven't seen anything or heard of anything. That doesn't mean it's not out there. I just personally haven't seen it or heard about it. Okay, because I, I remember Sylvester Pohl was another one who had a kid, yeah, one of his sons uh, who was uh, killed. And I think it was ruled that a gun went off on accident or uh, his little brother or someone accidentally did it. And, you know, other people were saying, no, that's not true. And I mean, by all means, for right now, uh, that family's going through a tough loss, you know, and I think that they should have some type of uh, funding or, or something set up for some kind of help. I agree. He was he was a 17 year old boy. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, we terrible. should definitely, as a community, be helping this family. Yeah, most definitely. I got a lot of love uh, still for the people in Fort Dodge and that community. Uh, again, like I said, Chuck Clayton, you know, I know he's done a lot with the APHIS program and uh, the IMAGE program would love to uh, eventually take part in, in helping, uh, you know, stop this with some leadership, mentorship. So we're going to continue to stay in touch with you and we're going to continue to try to help. So Amber, I appreciate your time and joining us this morning on The Image Show. Hey, thanks for having me, Bobby. And for all of you out there, we're going to go to a quick commercial. We'll be back and we've got some more hot topics on The Image Show. You're tuned in to The Image Show on 98.3 The Vibe. My name is Robert Pate. Now, for some of you who are affiliated with the Image Program, you know that Ken Silver was the outside sponsor of the Image Program when it originated at North Central Correctional Facility in 2016. And Ken uh, will be reached this morning by phone. Uh, He uh, resides in Florida uh, during the winter months. And uh, Ken has not only been very helpful in assisting the Image Program, but he is a very educated man uh, in business, in law, and in communications. And uh, Ken is going to speak with us, with us this morning about voting rights. Uh, this is one thing that he's very skilled in and uh, has a lot of information about. And I think it's going to be helpful. I think that uh, he's going to open up a lot of ears. Ken, how's the weather out there first and foremost? Well, you probably don't really want to know. Uh, we've been <laughs> suffering through in the low 80s all day, but I did see a cloud, so wow. things aren't as good as you think they are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're up to our ears in snow here in Des Moines. Now, Ken, I want, first of all, I'm very thankful that you're able to join us this morning, and I'm glad that you were able to take time out of your busy schedule. Now, I'm glad to do it. Now, Ken, you are. Uh, 
a very important man when the word image program comes up because uh, you started out as uh, the outside sponsor uh, when I was actually incarcerated. You not only deserve a big thank you from me, but I think that it's very vital and important for the people on the image show to know who you are. So could you just give us a little bit of history about uh, you and uh, your affiliation with the image program? Well, first of all, I'm an old man and retired several years ago, and that gave me a lot of uh, extra time to do some things that are very rewarding. You know, I met you, oh, probably 10 or 12 years ago uh, when I was doing volunteer work at the Polk County Jail uh-huh. with the chaplain there. And then uh, we followed up and, and uh, worked together with the image program up at Rockwell City. And I've got a real heart for helping people overcome their past when they want to try to overcome their past. And uh, the image program offered such a great opportunity. Uh, It was faith-based and still is, but it also kind of directed the people in the right direction. It wasn't that anybody was mollycoddled. You know, they were told the facts of life and, you know, let's get back on the street and and, uh, get back home and take our responsibility as fathers and leaders in the community and, and start doing right. So... Uh, you know, things just blossomed out of that, and, and uh, the image program still continuing to this day. Great. And now, Ken, uh, one of the uh, also very important aspects that I don't want to leave out, uh, not only that it's Sunday morning and a lot of people are probably uh, going to church, but you also uh, have been a role model and a very, very encouraging uh, Christian leader in my life. And uh, I thank you for that. Uh, You have been a man who not only talks the talk, but you walk the walk. And uh, you've kept me on the straight and narrow. And uh, I I just I I really commend you for that. And I'm out here in the community now trying to uh, duplicate uh, the same thing that you kind of started and instilled in me. And it looks like we're having a lot of success. So, uh, you know, I want to tell you, thank you for that. Well, you give me way too much credit. You know, I'm just an innocent bystander watching what God does in people's lives. (laughs) Okay. Now, moving to voting rights, I want uh, your take on this. As you know, I was on uh, a lot of different uh, television stations talking about voting rights, and uh, they wanted to know uh, my perspective from being an ex-offender. And I know you got a chance to see a lot of the news clippings. I want to know, I guess, uh, Des Moines, Iowa wants to know, and everyone listening, what is your take on it? Well, first of all, I was very disappointed after your <coughs> broadcast that the uh, more of the legislators didn't get on the bandwagon to help do away with this. You know, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I'm from Iowa when I find out that they're one of just a handful of states that's still backward enough to bar felons from voting. And almost every other state, including Florida, where I'm living now, have restored voters' rights to the felons after they've been released from prison and after they're off parole. I just don't see any real reason why we want to continue to prosecute someone after they've served their sentence. It, It has no benefit. Let them have it, Ken. I I love hearing this, man, and and everyone needs to hear this. I'm just going to let you continue on. Well, just stop and think a minute. Sex offenders and felons are the ones that end up with a life sentence. There may be some justification for tracking sex offenders to ensure that uh, the public is safe and small children are safe and so on. 
But there's no justification for taking voting rights away from felons. And when you stop and look at it, it just causes a vicious circle. And I wish everyone would just stop and put themselves in the place of someone coming out of prison. Because most of the time, you walk out that gate, you have no money, you probably have very few clothes, you have no driver's license, you have no transportation, you've got a ten or $15,000 debt for various things, and no real job skills. And they take you down to Des Moines and dump you off for Cedar Rapids or wherever and say, okay, happy, happy release, let's see you be a real success. Well, what chance do you have? Right. Who's going to hire a felon except flipping burgers for $8 an hour? How do you get to work? How do you get to your other appointments? Oh, by the way, uh, I did get a job, but I've got to take off every afternoon on Friday to go see my P.O. Well, and, and then they give you this big old list of rules that you have to abide by. And if you break one of them, they can throw you back in jail. Yeah, well, it's funny you said that. You know, last year... In Iowa, 3,100 people were returned to prison, okay? That's on top of the almost 6,000 new people that went in there. So, you know, we just put 6,000 people in prison last year. 1,900 of them were felons. These are new felons. Then on top of that, we throw in 3,000 people that are being returned to prison. It's just like a, a vicious cycle where we're trying to uh, pump water back into the bathtub at the same time we're draining it. Amazing. And we're never going to get ahead. So, you know, we've got to make, we've got to do something different. We've got to make it easier for people to make a decent living once they're released. And the first step in that is allow them to get a decent job. You know, take away that box on the applications that asks whether you've got a felony conviction or not. What are you going to do? You fill it out and you say, yes, I've got a felony conviction. They say, sorry, I can't hire you. You put down, no, I don't have a felony conviction. Six months later, they find out that you do, so they fire you. you know, supposedly, there's not supposed to be a ban against hiring a felon unless it affects the job they're applying for. But how in the world do you enforce that? It's crazy. It really is, so, Ken. It, it we really need to is. get that box off. There's many of the states have already come up with ban the box. You can't even put, you can't even ask that on an application. Again, Iowa still thinks that's something that they need. So, you know, in my point of view, we do about everything we can to help someone fail when they get out of prison. <laughs> and we're very good at that. And we, we prove it by the fact that we're sending 30% of them back every year. So, now, now, let me also remind you of, of one thing that relates to this is that they said 90%, I think there's a high 90% rate of the people that are coming out of prison return back to prison. Or, or no, 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 wait. Let me let me take that back. 90% of the people that are in prison are getting out, which means when these prosecutors are uh, stacking up the the charges and, and, you know, giving out these long-term sentences, the taxpayers aren't realizing, I don't think, that these people are coming back out, and then you have to deal with the problem now. They, 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 You're they, so right. They looked at the solution uh, in their eyes for uh, what the criminal has done or, you know, what the person has done or has, the mistake that they've made. They focused on that uh, to a T to the point that they overlooked the fact that, hey, what are we going to do when this guy gets out? What about the problem that's occurring and it's stacking and stacking and stacking up to the point to where 
now it's uh, becoming catastrophic, would you say? Exactly right. I mean, we take people so they've committed a crime. And I'm, you know, I'm tough. I'm really tough on crime. I think, uh, you know, from the time I raised my kids, the time I was growing up, if you do something wrong, you're going to have to pay for it. But it ought to be equal to what the crime is. You can't send somebody to prison for 10 years because they were jaywalking across Grand Avenue. <laughs> and so that's exactly what we've been doing recently. And yeah, it, it's you know, We prosecute somebody for some minor crime. We go through the court system. We pay the county attorney and all these people to prosecute them. We put them in uh, county jail for a while, and then maybe we send them to prison for a couple months, and then they get out. And, and what have we done? Nothing except mess up their lives. They lost a job, maybe lost their families. Uh, we didn't do anything to help them. We didn't do anything to reform them. I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's, it's so sad that this is reality that's actually taking place right before our eyes. And I think a lot of people are, are just now kind of starting to wake up because, you know, people are starting to, to talk about it. They're starting to step out and talk about it. You know, you have people right now listening to this show who I'm sure lights coming on like, oh, wow. You know, this is something that I've never thought about. Well, let me tell you about one of the lucky ones. OK, a friend of mine was in prison for 10 years. Felony gets out, still had problems with drugs. He went through drug treatment for a year, got out, got a job scrubbing floors at a fast food restaurant for minimum wage. Riding a bus, as far as the bus line would go, getting off and walking the last mile and a half to the place. Eventually, he gets into one of the trade unions, works through their apprenticeship program. Four years later, he ends up being a journeyman. He's now out in California working to repair the power lines at that forest fire, uh, making a hundred and some dollars an hour. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but who is the type of people that are most willing to help us turns out to be the trade unions. It's not the the office people. It's not the insurance company. It's not the people you see uh, on television that are the great local citizens and leaders and so on. They're not doing anything to help. You walk into any any of these uh, places and fill out an application, and what do they ask you? You, you got any felony convictions? Yep. Okay. See you later. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, the way it is. Yeah. You know, I've been working with people. I I see the benefit of people and how they can become successful once they get out, if they have the right follow-up. We can't just bring them down to the fort and dump them. You know? Now, now Ken, we need uh, We need jobs. We need different decent housing. We need support groups. And, you know, a lot of this we've got on a large scale, but we need to bring it down to the personal level. Okay. And we've got a couple of uh, uh, sober living houses in Des Moines, just five guys in each house. You know, they're dedicated to taking care of each other and helping each other with their job and with their transportation and with their, uh, going to church and going to the uh, meetings and so on. No. That's the kind of thing it takes is the small neighborhood. It's just like, we're, how, do, how are we going to solve crime in the inner city? The people in the inner city got to do it. And it's got to start out with one family, two families of people in a square block and so on. Okay, Ken, I want to go back real quick to what you said about uh, 
the transitional housings and uh, what you have established. That's one thing that people need to know about. Uh, We have some help out here in the community. When you hear about transitional housing, you hear about uh, housing, people coming out of prison, because one of the major issues is people having a place to parole. Uh, a lot of times people just don't have anywhere to go. They burned a lot of bridges. They have to go to work release or uh, there's problems with being on a lease uh, at a house at their girlfriends or wherever. Uh, And so they're stuck with no place to go when they get out. Now you have established uh, through your nonprofit organization, uh, two transitional housing. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's called the discovery house, right? Yes. Okay. You know, it just breaks my heart when I, I get calls from parole officers saying, hey, I've got a guy that we could release from prison, but he has no place to parole to. Sure. So what happens? The citizens of Iowa keep paying to keep him in prison because he doesn't have any decent place to live if they let him out. Okay. No, no. The other problem is <laughs> we've got people running these transitional housing units that are just for profit. Okay, They're just dumps. I have proved that you can have a nice house, nice furniture, nice TVs, nice internet, good location, uh, you know, all this stuff, and still make the house affordable for these people. So, sure. you know, it's got to be a nonprofit thing, but we need more and more and more of those. I, I wouldn't even want to guess what the demand is. But, you know, I've got two houses. We can hold a total of 11 people. And what are, can, what are now, Ken? What are the qualifications uh, for your uh, halfway or for your transitional housing there that, that you have at the Discovery House in Des Moines? You, number one, you have to have a job, and you have to have sub, sobriety, and that's about the end of the qualifications. Okay, and we ask people. Not, we not, ask people that uh, we want them to be part of a, the community at the house, and. Uh, have the same type of beliefs that the other people in the house have. We ask them to attend a house meeting every Sunday evening where we eat together and talk about anything that's coming up with the house. And we have Bible study one night a week. Okay. Um, that's great. You know, and now, now, Ken, let me ask you, do you guys, do you have a number for the people out there that are interested? They may have family members that are in prison and they're coming out or when they get ready to be released, they want them to be a part of this positive uh, transitional housing. How do they reach you? Well, the, the best way to reach me would be through the email. And what is that? Try S-K-I-A. S is in Sam. K is in Kite. A is in Apple. No, I, no. S like Sam, K is in Kite, I is in Indigo, A is in Alpha. Okay. At AOL.com. At AOL.com. Okay, great. And like I say, we've got a waiting list already. Uh, the demand is just so great. You know, it's, it's basically we've had it going for a year or so and found out that we can have very reasonable rent for these guys and uh, still provide a great facility. That is wonderful. Ken, listen, uh, I've got to go to a commercial break. I've got, uh, it looks like we're just about probably two seconds away. Uh, I really appreciate the time that you spent here on the air on the Image Show. Uh, You're a part of the Image Program for Life, and 
tell your wife that I said hello. Send some of that sunshine through the airwaves out here so that we can enjoy it. And uh, man, what you said was so valuable. I'll speak with you not only when you get back in into Des Moines, but uh, we'll set up another time where you can come back in on the show and uh, just talk a little bit more. Well, thank you. Keep up the good work. You're an awesome role model. Take care. Thanks, Ken. We'll talk to you later. We'll be back after these messages. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for tuning in to the Image Show this morning, and I want to kind of leave you with some updated information and upcoming events. First of all, October 23rd, that's Wednesday, October 23rd, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's another career fair at the Evelyn K. Davis Center. That's right. Iowa Works preps for the Evelyn K. Davis Center Career Fair in partnership, and that will be on October 23rd from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not been to one of these career fairs, you need to come. Uh, All the complaining that we hear about, uh, we need a job, we need a job. Well, here it is. We've laid opportunity right out in front of your face. Also, we've got the 10th annual Fall Family Fest, October 27th, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Free for all military families, candy crafts, games, inflatables, trunk and treat scavenger hunts. We'll all be at Camp Dodge Pool Pavilion. That is October 27th from 2 to 4 p.m. The 10th annual Fall Family Festival, Land of Enhancement. And then it's the nonprofit boot camp at the Iowa. Why did I say Iowa? At the Evelyn K. Davis Center. This is the Financial Empowerment Center's nonprofit boot camp, October 23rd through December 4th. Every Wednesday from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Free meals are included. To sign up, go to www.empowermoney.org. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have an upcoming event or you would like to be on The Image Show and you have an intriguing story, please feel free to reach out to me, Robert Pate, at rpate.image at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website at image4lives.com. We want to see your face in the place.